Welcome to the weekly podcast of Soul Purpose Evangelical Church, located in the city of Middletown, New York. Today's message will be brought to you by Brother Alan Weir. Each week, we stream our live recorded services to encourage, build up, and edify our listening audience. Our aim is to share with you the uncompromised and infallible word of the living God. Our prayer is that today's message will draw you closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, here's Brother Allen with today's word. I'm going to be sharing with you a message which is based on a study of mine, um, which was a, a course of a, a very that was of interest to me. But before I get into that, um, back in 19, in the early 80s, from 80 to 84, I was in Nyack Bible College. And I used to go home frequently to visit my parents. My father lived in the Bronx, and he would always want me to come visit him. He lived away in a, in a, a separate household. And the one thing he always wanted to talk about, I couldn't get him off the subject. Uh, he always wanted to discuss. He would always ask me how I was doing in school, and I would answer him. But uh, the question always turned to Bible prophecy. My father was fascinated with the tribulation, with the end times. Now, he wasn't saved. Um, he did accept Christ before he passed away in 82, um, but he was always asking me about Bible prophecy, the end times, what's going to happen. Most people, many people are interested in that, especially now with what's going on. A lot of questions are being asked about the end times, the tribulation. Uh, there are a lot of prophetic websites, Now the End Begins, Rapture Ready, and a lot of people are going into those websites because they're looking for answers. Um, more recently, actually, uh, I was in contact with my sister who lives in Queens, and uh, she called me during the height of the pandemic, or plandemic, uh, down in, um, that's another story, down, down, in, uh, down in New York City, and um, she called me and she was, she was crying, she was hysterical, uh, she was consumed with questions. Is this the end? Is the rapture going to take place? What's going to happen? Uh, who I think the Antichrist is? And then she asked me a very interesting question during our conversation. She asked me, do, do you think I'm going to get left behind? And of course, I couldn't answer that question because I told her I can't see inside your heart. But um, I did tell her that you need to be ready and you need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. She eventually ended up calling Pastor Albert and having a, about a two-hour conversation with him um, about the Lord. Uh, I don't know if she accepted Christ or not. I don't think she did. But again, more consumed with questions about the end times. I myself, when I first got saved back in 1976, I had this obsession, this interest in Bible prophecy in the end times. The Antichrist, the dragon, the tribulation period, the bold judgment, the seal judgments. Many people, most people are interested in topics like the end of the world and what's going to happen in Bible prophecy. And that ties into the message based on the study I'm going to be going into tonight. Um, there are a lot of movies that have been made regarding the end times and Bible prophecy. Um, the topic of my uh, message tonight is the false prophet of Revelation. The false prophet of Revelation. You can see on the screen, we're going to be showing it on the screen, um, The Omen, Thief in the Night. There it is right there, the Bible Code, Megiddo, The Moment After, um, Left Behind, 
uh, we see here, uh, and then we have the Left Behind series. Uh, some of these movies are Christian movies, some are not. We're not made by believers. I remember seeing Thief in the Night uh, back in 1976 um, when I was a new believer. Everyone was talking about it the moment after. My wife and I, Nicole, have been watching these on Netflix. I mean, I'm sorry, on Pure Flix, forgive me. On Pure Flix, uh, all these movies are tied in to the end times. But they all have one common theme, all these movies. They all talk about the Antichrist and the Tribulation, which, of course, is many people... It's a, an area of interest that many people are asking about. However, um, there's one particular topic in this uh, subject of the end times and the tribulation and the Antichrist, which is left out many times. Uh, not too many movies get into it. Um, there is a trinity of evil during the tribulation period that's going to uh, be present. And that trinity of evil is the Antichrist, of course, Satan, who is the underlying force, underneath what's going to be happening, but a secondary figure in this trinity of evil is the false prophet. You don't hear too much about the false prophet. Uh, my guess is that because he occupies what appears to be a secondary role in the trinity of evil in the end times, but actually um, the false prophet um, occupies a very significant role uh, during the end time scenario of the tribulation. And that's because his particular role, the role of the false prophet during the tribulation period is going to be to secure the devotion of the masses of people and of the world, as well as the world governments, to secure their devotion to the Antichrist. That is his goal, that is his function in this uh, unholy and evil trinity that's going to be present. Um, and I myself, of course, became very familiar with the Antichrist and the Tribulation, but I have many questions about the false prophet. There's a lot of speculation as to uh, who the Antichrist is. Some people thought it was David Hasselhoff. Uh, there have been a lot of crazy speculations about the Antichrist. Uh, more recently, uh, the French leader Emmanuel Macron is taking central um, place in Europe. Most recently, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, uh, scheduled a G7 summit with Bill Gates to discuss a global approach to the um, coronavirus pandemic. Uh, in fact, more recently, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, stated in front of the French parliament that he wanted to rule like a Jupiter god, elevating himself to that position. Um, but there's also been a lot of speculation about who the false prophet is as well. And the goal of this message is not to name names or speculate although uh, there's been a lot of speculation about who the false prophet will be. But that's uh, the theme of my message to, tonight, the false prophet. Who is he? What is his role? What will he do? And what will happen to him at the very end of the tribulation period and afterwards? That the topic, that's the topic of my message. Again, the false prophet of Revelation. I'm going to be reading Revelation chapter 13. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. It's a contemporary version um, for the sake of clarity, I'll be reading from here. It's only about 16 verses long. So I'll be reading um, Revelation 13. And then I saw a beast rising out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns, with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. 
And I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded and beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. And they worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast? They exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? And then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. And that means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. And then I saw another beast come out out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required that all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he did astounding miracles, even making the fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast, who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here, that the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and that number is 666. <sighs> right after the rapture of the believers in the world, uh, and of course, this is not something we're going to have to worry about. We'll all be gone. The world's going to be looking for any individual who can bring peace and prosperity and order out of the chaos that's going to be taking place in the world. There's going to be a lot of confusion. People are going to be running around. It's going to be scared. You know, I was thinking about uh, at the height of the uh, pandemic and the rush to the supermarkets, empty shelves, um, uh, people arguing and, 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 and fighting. I mean... It, like Pastor has told us, this is going to be 10 times worse. The confusion, pandemonium, fear, uh, uh, people will turn on each other. It is going to be that yes. bad. Um, no world leader is going to be trusted. No one world leader is going to be trusted. The Chinese president's not going to trust the American president. The French president's not going to trust the British prime minister. Uh, no individual world leader is going to be trusted and looked to to solve what's going to be happening in this world with what's going on. 
Uh, the world's going to be looking for an international figure who will be trusted and have the credibility to bring economic, political, and world stability to the globe. Um, but he won't be able to bring spiritual stability to the masses. The Antichrist is going to be primarily a secular, military, and economic leader. There are going to be a lot of people who are atheists and agnostics who are going to be left behind. Not everyone's going to be religious. Um, so you're going to have two groups of people who are going to be left behind. You're going to have a lot of people who are non-religious who will look to the Antichrist for the answers to restore order in the world. And then you're going to have a lot of people who are religious. The, the countless number of Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, uh, people of all different faiths, Jewish people, people of, of different religions or philosophical religions. And yes, many Christians will be left behind as well. Uh, the Antichrist is going to be admired and looked to initially as a secular leader, especially by many atheists and non-religious people of the world. But addressing the needs and providing the answers to the countless number of, of people who are spiritual in the world that's going to be the role of the false prophet. The Antichrist is not going to be able to address that. He's going to be busy cleaning up the mess that the, that the rapture uh, uh, causes, but providing comfort or spiritual comfort, so to speak, and uh, advice and counsel to the many religious people who will be looking for answers, that's going to come from the false prophet. Uh, I've often wondered, we've all seen movies about the Antichrist. I mean, I, I've often believed that the Antichrist is not going to be someone whose eyes are glowing in the dark and he's going to appear evil. No, 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 no. The Antichrist is going to be someone that people point to and say, no, it's not going to be him. That's how he will deceive. It's going to be the person you least expect. Yes. Okay? Um, and so the Antichrist, of course, he's the first person of this evil trinity. The Bible calls him the first beast. The second beast of this evil trinity is the false prophet. And while we often speculate about who the Antichrist is and what he's like, uh, there's not that much speculation about the false prophet, what he's going to be like. What are the characteristics of the false prophet? What is he going to be like? Um, what's he going to do? Uh, pretty much in my study of the false prophet, I delved into four areas. His description, his deeds, his demands, and ultimately his demise, what will become of him. First is his description. Number one, he's a religious figure. Revelation 16, 13 says, And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. In Greek, the word false prophet, a lot of people believe that the term um, uh, false prophet, uh, so to speak, means someone who is a complete liar. The Greek word is sodoprofretos. It's a false and deceitful representative. We've all seen impersonators. We've all seen tribute bands. We've all seen uh, people who try to impersonate uh, singers. They dress like them. They look like them. They talk like them. They use the same terminology. The false prophet, unlike true prophets of old in the Old Testament that speak the oracles of God, yes. and everything that they yes. say comes to pass, the false prophet is just that, a false and deceitful representative. His goal is to serve as Satan's mouthpiece on earth, and his goal will be to advocate a one-world religion, which you're already seeing in the works now, yes. actually. Yes. He's a spiritual figure that will be looked to for spiritual comfort as well as answers. I have no doubt there's going to be a lot of questions about the rapture. Aliens, um, maybe the world's better off with the, without these people. So actually maybe the people who got raptured were the bad ones and the ones who were good were left behind. Now we can move on to a better world. 
Um, there's going to be all kinds of speculation. Uh, I truly believe that the Antichrist will leave this to the false prophet uh, uh, to, to address. The second thing is that the um, false prophet is an authoritative figure. Revelation 13, 12 says, He exercised all the authority of the first beast. He has the same kind of satanic power as the Antichrist because he'll be empowered by the same source, Satan. He's also going to be feared. Um, you know, we all, you know, have someone in our lives that we fear, maybe perhaps a supervisor, a boss. The Antichrist is going to be feared because of his authority, complete totalitarian world authority. But the false prophet will have that same kind of authority religiously. All faiths will come under the one umbrella of the one world religion that the false prophet will espouse and advocate for. Um, there'll be no separation. There'll be uh, even now there are interfaith services. Yeah. Um, a very well-known evangelical leader. I think I mentioned this before. Named uh, Rick Warren. Yeah. Uh, he's the pastor of Saddleback Church in Texas. He began Chrislam, and he um, has held interfaith services. Uh, with Muslims as well. In fact, back in 1994, I mentioned this during a previous message, there was a, uh, an agreement signed, Evangelicals and Catholics Together. And the agreement between the Evangelicals and the Catholics is that neither one will try to convert the other. The gospel will not be preached to Catholics, and the Pope's authority will be recognized. I don't know any true evangelical who will uh, agree with that. Uh, Rick Warren signed it. A few people that I was very surprised at uh, signed that. Uh, I won't go into names, uh, but um, look it up. Catholics and Evangelicals Together, 1994. And you will see the names of prominent evangelical leaders who signed that agreement. Uh, those who didn't sign it endorsed it and agreed with it and said they would back it up. Uh, the third characteristic of the false prophet is a, in his description is he's a credible figure. As he performs signs and wonders, he'll have worldwide influence and reputation as a miracle worker and speaker. He'll be trusted for spiritual guidance and counsel. And even now, many world leaders have spiritual figures near them. Uh, during the When Billy Graham was alive, uh, many, many presidents will invite Billy Graham to the White House. Um, just to have your picture, if you were a U.S. president or a world leader, just to have your picture taken next to Billy Graham, of course, would... You know, you'd gain points, or people would think you're more godly than maybe you really are. In Muslim countries, a lot of the secular uh, leaders have the mullahs, the uh, Muslim clerics near them, so they can combine uh, the, the religious part of the country with the governmental part of the country. And many times, unfortunately, in those countries, the religious part wins over, Sharia law, and next thing you know, heads are flying, and there's a lot of persecution and oppression. Uh, but he'll be a very credible figure. He'll be foreign signs and wonders. Nobody will question his religious authority. Uh, there are a few people like that now, um, but um, no one's going to question what he says. No one's going to question his statements or his remarks. He'll say all the right things at the right time to all the right people. It'll be very difficult not to follow him and find comfort in what he says. A false comfort, by the way. Another part of his description is that he's a malevolent figure. By malevolent, he is, he's evil. He appears good, dressed maybe in priestly vestures. Uh, he may have his hands out. He may appear to want to comfort people, but he's malevolent. He has a desire to do evil to others, but 
but no one's going to recognize this. And again, earlier I mentioned that he's referred to as the second beast, um, which is an interesting term because um, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, the living beings who are on the throne of God are referred to in Greek as zun. That is a beast that is a not a human being. It's a living being, but it's, it, it, it's not beast in a negative sense. That's not the term that's used here in Revelation 13 to describe the second beast. The term that's used in Revelation 13 to describe this beast, the false prophet, is therion. And that word means beast, but a wild, venomous animal. An animal that's destructive, that means you harm, that cannot be tamed, that's poisonous, and will kill you. That word therion is the word that's used to describe the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13. A second characteristic of the false prophet are his deeds. What exactly is the false prophet going to do during the tribulation period to help the Antichrist? Well, one, uh, he's going to perform miracles. He'll have the power to perform miracles. Revelation 13, 3 says, And I saw one of the heads of the beast seem wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. Sometime during the tribulation period, whether it's by assassination attempt or by accident, the Antichrist is going to sustain a fatal injury to his head. He's actually going to die. But interestingly enough, the false prophet is going to resurrect him and heal that wound. In fact, as we go on down the line here, it's interesting to note that these are all counterfeit miracles. Everything that the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to do are anti-miracles. They're miracles of an opposite nature to what was done in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Revelation 13, 13 says, He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. The same way Elijah called down fire from heaven to prove who was the true God, the false prophet is going to call down fire from heaven to deceive people and make them believe that the one world religion and the Antichrist is God. It's an anti-miracle. It's a duplicate. It's a cheap knockoff. You know, I, I, I love cologne, and I love buying good-smelling cologne. And uh, now and then, of course, uh, every year we have a secret Santa at my job. And, you know, um, somebody will buy me a knockoff from a mobile station. You know, uh, uh, you know yeah, I know. It's, he's laughing. Uh, you know, and it'll say, uh, Paco Rabanne, our version. And it's a cheap knockoff. It, it smells cheap, it is cheap, and it's not the real thing. It's meant to look like the real thing. It, uh -huh. They try to make it smell like the real thing, but everyone can tell. It's like, I mean, I mean, talk about Rite Aid cologne, really. Uh, but it's, it, it's bad. Um, no offense to those who are buying cologne from Rite Aid. Uh, but, but, but again, a lot of these miracles, the, 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 the death of the Antichrist and his resurrection... The death of Christ and his resurrection. The fire called down from the sky by Elijah to prove who is the true God and glorify God. And the fire called down from the sky by the false prophet to glorify the false prophet and deter people away from the true God. Right. Revelation 13, 15 says, He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. In Revelation 13, as we read uh, before, in addition to the Antichrist uh, dying, coming back to life, an image, a statue of the Antichrist is going to be constructed. And the false prophet is going to speak to the statue and actually make it speak and come back to life. 
That's what he's going to do. And everyone is going to marvel and be amazed at the power that he has and what he's doing. Another one of his deeds, in addition to the power to perform miracles, that he's going to endorse the Antichrist. Uh, in Greek, the word antichristos is one who opposes by taking the place of. A lot of people believe the word Antichrist is, is someone who is completely against. But the capital letter in the word Antichrist, Alpha, speaks about a, a different definition. It describes someone who opposes Christ, not by suppressing him, by taking his place, by impersonating everything that he does and says. So the word Antichrist is one who opposes by taking the place of. When we read Revelation chapter 13, verse 12, the second half of that verse says, And he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, that is the Antichrist, whose fatal wound was healed. So he'll be endorsing, speaking highly of the Antichrist, and encouraging people to worship him and go to him and trust him, in addition to actually receiving the mark, to pledge your allegiance to him. A third aspect regarding his deeds is he deceives the masses. Revelation 13, 14 says, And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the world who belonged to this world. Revelation 19, 20, And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast, who worshipped his statue. You know, what's interesting, throughout Revelation 13, we see terms like allowed to, permitted, given authority. It's very important to note that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that the Antichrist or the false prophet or Satan will be allowed to do that God does not allow. Okay? That's why you have terms like permitted, allowed, uh, given permission. There isn't anything that they're going to do that God has. It's all part of the larger plan. Nothing is out of control during this period of time. This is all ordained and planned by God. They have no authority on their own. And the same thing applies now. A third characteristic of the Antichrist are his demands. What's he going to ask? He'll be, he'll be around for the seven years, but what are his demands? What will he ask uh, we already know he's going to be deceiving the masses. We already know he'll be performing mighty miracles to deceive them. But after they see who he is and they uh, fall madly in love with him as well as the Antichrist, what will he ask of them? What are his demands? What, do you, what will he want from the people? Well, the first thing is, of course, to worship the Antichrist. Revelation 13, 12 says, Again, the false prophet requires all the earth to worship the Antichrist. Right. Um, Nero, the Roman emperor, required that he be worshipped. Many Roman emperors uh, required worship of who and what they were under the threat of death. More recently, actually, the Chinese president has stated that uh, people should not be looking to Christianity for answers, but to the Chinese government and that the Chinese government will solve all their problems. In fact, they actually use the word worship. The Chinese people should worship the government, not Jesus Christ. And many, many uh, uh, Christians are being persecuted for this. A second demand he's going to make is he's going to order idolatry. Revelation 13, 14, the second part of that verse says, he ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast. He will order the construction of the statue. It will be made of gold. Another cheap knockoff 
of the gold signifying the royalty of Christ. The statue of the Antichrist will be made of gold signifying princely uh, position, royalty, and greatness. He's going to require that the statue be made. A third demand is that he's going to order obedience. Following the Antichrist's healing, people will exclaim, like we read in Revelation 13, who is like the beast, who is able to fight against him? And so we see that he's going to be demanding worship, worship of, uh, he's going to be ordering idolatry, and he'll be ordering obedience. But the end, of course, comes swiftly uh, for the Antichrist and false prophet. After, after everything that happens, the judgments and, the, and, the, and, and, and God pouring out his wrath on the earth, the last thing, the last characteristic is his demise. Revelation 19.20 says, And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. Both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Revelation 20.10 says, Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. The ultimate rebellion against God is paid with the ultimate consequences. Um, unfortunately, you know, in addition to the, um, the Antichrist and false prophet, as well as Satan, the dragon, Many unsafe people, of course, but those who rejected Christ are going to be there too. There will be tribulation saints, but they're going to have to endure till the end. Now, we know we're not going to be around for all these events. Um, but until then, of course, then the question becomes, so what? What's required of us as believers? We all like to read prophecy, study prophecy. But what do we do with the information that we have? I know my sister... Uh, again, she was asking about who the Antichrist is and what should she do, and, and the rapture is going to come. What should she do? Um, you know, it's weird. There's a, uh, a Christian prophetic site called uh, Rapture Ready, and there's a particular section of Rapture Ready that has letters to leave behind to unsaved loved ones. I've gone into that website. Pastor Albert's got into the website, too. These letters, are, are they're, they're, they're scary to read. They're very, very scary to read. Um, but I've often uh, uh, told myself, you know, now that I have this information, now that I know what's going to happen, now that we all know what's going to happen, and we hear it regularly uh, uh, about the end times and the tribulation, we're all watching and waiting for the rapture to take place. And the rapture, I believe, is the next prophetic event on the, on, on the calendar. I believe the rapture could take place tonight. It could take place before I get done with my message. But until then, what's required of us as believers how should we behave? What should we be doing? Second right. Peter chapter 3.11 says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? The one word that comes to my mind is vigilance. And I'll be the first one to admit I myself have not been as vigilant as I should. A while back I mentioned the Laodicean church and um, their behavior and what, what they were like. Um, lukewarm, and they were spat out of God's mouth because of their lukewarmness. I've been guilty myself of a lack of vigilance on my part, and I, I've got to tell you right now, um, when I think about my loved ones, when I think about um, the chaos, the confusion, the horror that's going to be taking place here, I think about people like my daughter, who's not saved. I think about my sister. 
think about your loved ones. Think about someone that you care about. If you're watching this right now, think about someone that you have regular contact with, a co-worker, a close friend, a son, a daughter, a spouse, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and imagine their reaction if they get left behind, especially if they know what happened at the rapture took place. Um, I pray daily for my daughter. I worry about her constantly, and, and I... It's my hope that she would accept Christ. And, but, you know, think about your loved ones. Just thinking about your loved ones should encourage you to vigilance. I believe God calls us to vigilance in different areas. One, I believe God calls us to vigilance in sobriety and spirit. First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is to reject anything that could act as a hindrance to you, to think clearly and be self-controlled, not letting things distract you or deter you or throw you off course uh, as to what you should be focusing on. The second area I believe that we're called to vigilance is, is regarding in work and witness. 1 Corinthians 3, 13-15 says, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet, so as to fire. Have we done God's work in terms of witnessing to unbelievers, living as an example? Or like I mentioned before, are we, living, are we living as Laodicean believers, lukewarm and inactive? I think I mentioned this um, one time before. I just want to reiterate it again. Um, the, uh, Laodicea, the city of Laodicea um, did not have its own water supply. And they relied on two cities to get their water, uh, Galatia and Heropolis. Uh, hot water came from Heropolis. Cold water came from Galatia. And the tunnels, the aqueduct, the water aqueduct leading to Laodicea was filthy. So by the time the hot water from Heropolis came with the cold water from Galatia, it was lukewarm. And the tunnel was so filthy in Laodicea that by the time the water was, was, was gathered, it smelled like sulfur. It smelled like it, you couldn't bathe in it. You couldn't drink it. You certainly couldn't cook with it. The water was useless. Uh, uh, and of course, it could kill you if you use it. Eventually, Laodicea had to come up with its own water supply. But same thing. Um, Laodicea, the believers in Laodicea were compared with uh, the poisonous and putrid water uh, that was in their city. Uh, in fact, Laodicea was a retirement community. Many believers were in Laodicea who were older. And uh, they were laid back. They were retired. Uh, they figured that they had done everything that's required of them. So they weren't witnessing, they weren't reaching out to people, and they were reprimanded uh, for their lukewarm uh, disposition. Um, they didn't think they had anything more to do. Uh, and again, I was guilty of that at one time, and I had to repent of that, of being a lukewarm Laodicean believer. Uh, the third area I believe we're called to vigilance is in personal holiness. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You know, it's um, in this world right now, it's very easy to lose focus and lose sight 
the Bible also says to be holy for I am holy, uh, to be consecrated. You know, these days, um, not too many churches preach consecration and holiness. A lot of churches preach about your best life ever, um, positive thinking, positive affirmation, enlarging your vision. In fact, I would encourage everyone here, and this time I'm going to name names, okay? So I hope, uh, bear with me. Take 10 books, five contemporary authors. Get a book by T.D. Jakes, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, um, Clef O'Dollar, and uh, maybe uh, Joyce Meyer. Five books. Read those five books. And then get five books, George Mueller, Charles Spurgeon, John Wesley, Uh Smith Wigglesworth, D.L. Moody. Read these five books and read these five books. Mm -hmm. You are going to notice a difference in the content. Mm -hmm. These five authors will talk about positive affirmation, positive confession. I left out Joel Olstein too. Um, Add him on there also for a sixth book. Uh, Positive affirmation, positive confession, your best life ever. Uh, uh, Incidentally, it's weird because if this is your best life ever, what's he saying about heaven? Um, So we have all this positive confession, prosperity, uh, word of faith. And these five authors are talking about consecration, holiness, sanctification. You can even see it in the old hymnals. The old hymnals, uh, Fanny Crosby, Newton, uh, those old hymnals from the old churches talk about consecration, holiness, commitment, sanctification, tarrying in the spirit. You don't hear too many of that, too much of that these days in contemporary churches. Uh, in fact, you don't hear too much about hell or repentance. Some churches just ask you to accept Christ but leave out the repentance part. All right? But um, that's, a, that's for another message. Uh, a fourth area that I believe we're called uh, with regards to uh, vigilance is in prayer and supplication. Um, I need to be stronger in my prayer life. Uh, we all do. That's right. We all do. Uh, number one, for fellow believers, Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Um, are we praying Are we praying for our fellow Christians? I know I need to pray more for the people right here at Soul Purpose. I don't do it enough. I really, really don't. You know, it's one thing when someone says, keep them in prayer. Keep her in prayer. Pray for me. And then, of course, what are you going to say? You're not going to say no. You're going to say, sure, of course I will. And then you don't do it. I'm guilty of that. We have to pray for fellow believers, especially now. You know, hopefully, hopefully, when we all come together, there won't be any people missing. You know, we have to pray for our fellow believers that there's steadfastness and consistency and that we all come back together. I want to see the same faces here for that first service, if not more faces. Uh, We're to pray for our pastors. That goes without saying. Acts 12.5 says, uh, you know, Peter was arrested and he was in prison. He says, but prayer was made for him fervently by the church to God. Romans 15.30 says um, that you may strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul said that when he was in prison as well. Um, A lot of times we take our pastors for granted. We think, uh, and they are, they are powerful men and women of God, but because of that we think, well, they don't really need for me to pray fervently for them. They They already have it together. 
Uh, you know, if anything, they should be praying for me. I'm the parishioner, they're the pastor. Uh, but actually, that's, that's, that the complete opposite is true. Uh, our pastors uh, need our prayers desperately. Uh, uh, I, you know, uh, coming up here, can you imagine being Pastor Albert and coming having to do what I'm doing today, Sundays and Wednesdays, if not more frequently? You know, uh, 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 pastors rely on, on, on the prayers of their people for support, um, for strength, to be given wisdom, um, that the Lord uh, continues to use them. They need prayer for their spiritual lives. They need prayer for their home lives, their marriages, their children. Pa the pastors need our prayers. And, and, and I, I, like I said, I'm, I am guilty of not praying for my pastor enough. That's a confession, Pastor. I just made it. it, it confession's no good unless there's change. So, okay. Um, another area that we have required in prayer and supplication is for our government leaders in our nation. First Timothy chapter two, verse two says uh, that prayers be made for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You know, it's unusual. Uh, even at the height of the persecution in Rome. There was never a call for rebellion. There was never a call for insurrection. There was never a plot against the emperor, as evil as he was. Uh, even now, um, we all tend to make fun of our president. I know I did. Uh, we make fun of our governor. We make fun of our president. We laugh at political cartoons. We criticize him. We hope he gets overthrown. We hope he gets sick. And I, I felt guilty because I told myself, well, yeah, I'm making fun of our president and I'm criticizing him. I haven't prayed for him once. I haven't prayed for his wisdom. If, 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 you're, if you disagree with your political leaders, pray for them. If you feel that they're doing the wrong thing, then pray God put them on the right path. If they're saying the wrong things or behaving the wrong way, pray for them. If you are criticizing more than praying, then you're the one that's wrong, not the leader. And last but not least, uh, yeah, last but not least, um, for unbelievers. I believe we're called for prayer and supplication for unbelievers. Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. Um, the other day, uh, of course, I've been praying for my daughter consistently and regularly. Uh, there are days when um, I really, really cry out to God, and I, I, my daughter, she, my daughter's probably the last person I would ever expect to accept Christ. Uh, she, her heart is very, very hardened to the gospel. Uh, several days ago, uh, we got into a discussion, a philosophical discussion, and of course, she's always looking for holes in Christianity and trying to poke fun of Christianity. Um, but I didn't know until recently that she's been listening to Ravi Zacharias. Uh, my daughter uh, graduated from SUNY Binghamton, and of course, um, you know, there are three types of people who look, who, who want to get into a religious discussion. There are people who just want to get into a good argument. They don't care about truth. There are other people that want to get into an argument because um, they want to punch holes in what you believe. Mm -hmm. And then the third category are people who uh, want to get into a good discussion because they are actually seeking truth. They have legitimate questions, right. and they want answers to it. Uh, I would referred my daughter to Josh McDowell and Ravi Zacharias, and I'm happy to, uh, to say that she's, she's listening to Ravi Zacharias um, to hear uh, a valid argument for the gospel and the resurrection of Christ. So I'm still praying for her. 
um, but all of us have family members that we need to pray for, um, co-workers. There may be people who are coming to this church who are not saved, and they're, 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 they're coming, they're coming, but uh, they're not born again, but they're getting fed the word. There may be someone who's watching this broadcast right now. Um, you're not saved, and you're hearing what's being said. Uh, my encouragement to you is that you keep on listening, keep on hearing what's being said, and my prayer for you, like I'm mentioning in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, is that your eyes be opened and that you turn from darkness to light and that you get delivered from the power of Satan that you receive forgiveness of sins. If you're listening, don't stop listening. And if you're tired of listening and you want to act, like they say in the commercials, act now. Amen. You know, whether it's a movie, a book about the last days, or most of all, the book of Revelation, uh, knowing about the last days and what's going to happen should have an effect on all of us. Not just, you know, uh, that we're interested in it or we like reading about it or, you know, uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of conspiracy theories about what's happening. Conspiracy theories are fun, they're entertaining. But um, knowing about the tribulation, knowing about uh, uh, events in the last days, and I truly believe we are in the ultimate last days, I believe we will live to see the fulfillment of all biblical prophecy. Uh, but regardless of that, uh, the study of the last day should have an effect on us. But not one of fear, not one of fear, uh, but one of concern for the lost, excitement, anticipation, and most of all, vigilance for ourselves, uh, and the hope that those people who are not saved will not be here to witness the events that are prophesied in the book of Revelation. That being said, uh, I hope you enjoyed this study. Uh, God bless all of you, um, and I truly hope that um, if you are saved and you heard this broadcast, that um, this message spoke to you with regards to vigilance and, and provided a background and regarding the false prophet. If you're not saved, um, I don't believe that it's wrong to fear taking action. Um, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, Amen. and uh, I wouldn't want anyone to be here after the rapture. Thank you. Amen. We are so grateful to God for allowing us the opportunity to share this message with you. Thank you for listening. We want you to know that you are all in our constant prayers. If you have been blessed by today's program, why not consider partnering with us? To make a donation is easy. You can visit us online at www. .specchurch.net or you can call us at 845-956-0133 Once again, that's www.specchurch.net or 845-956-0133 We invite you to worship with us one Sunday morning very soon. Thank you again for your prayers and support. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, and may he be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you.